Amen. Proverbs 9 is where we're going to be this evening. We invite you to be with us there this evening, grabbing a Bible or using the Bible study booklet that we've provided for you at the door. Hey, again, this is something we're doing in the book of Proverbs that we probably might not necessarily ever do again, but I think it's going to be helpful. I hope it's been helpful so far, but let me also be honest. I'm hoping it's about to be even more helpful. Tonight, we take on Proverbs 9. We we finish that, and then starting next week in chapter 10, we get to that section in Proverbs that is going to make it a, a challenge to teach through because it's just so sporadic. Uh, it, it, you know, we've, we've had larger chunks happening, so far happening, and so next week it's going to be that way, and I'm hoping, again, that having a booklet, being able to underline, circle, uh, just make notes in it would be helpful. So again, we just give you that opportunity, hoping you have that. If you're wanting to use that, uh, you could do that. For you guys who are joining us online, we give you a familiar and same invitation the booklets that we're using this evening, we've provided for you. You can get them on our website. So go to calvaryroswell.com. Under there, under messages, you'll just go there, and there's a little link that says download. Click that. When you click that, it gives you opportunities of things to download. Sometimes it can be the audio or the video, which is not up yet till after the service, but you can download the, the notes there and then open it up or print them, and it would be helpful, or we hope it would be as we move into this evening, longing that God would just open up his word to us. So let's ask him for that. Let's ask him right now that he would take his word and make it just alive and that you would hear and that I would hear that which he would have us to hear. So I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would ask as well that God would speak to you through his truth. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for wisdom. I think about the book of Proverbs. That is a book of wisdom. And I find myself going back to a verse that we've talked about so often already in the, uh, as we've thought through the book of Proverbs. And that invitation that you give us in the book of James, where you said, if any of us lacks wisdom, we could ask you. And you would give wisdom abundantly and without reproach. You said it would be given to us. God, I, I come, and at least for me, would say, Lord, I, I'm asking because I, I recognize the need of wisdom. And I'm asking for us this evening as we approach this that you would give us wisdom. Lord, where that's just perspective and just help that, but where it's very specific that the wisdom that you would give us would lay courses before us and rescue us from from so many things around us. God, take your truth and help us to hear it. Help us to understand that which you have for us. We pray for that together, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The choices that you make they really do define just the course that's right in front of you. I find myself thinking of Joshua, who in a very familiar uh, exhortation to the people of Israel, stands there in Joshua 24, and he looks at them and invites God's people to walk in God's ways and kind of challenges them with that. And then he says, hey, but whatever you do, I mean, whatever choices you make, as for me, as for me and my house, you know, we're going we're to see God. We're, that's going to be what we're going to do. You know, that kind of 
passion, that kind of decision, is one that God has for us. That there's a place that the choices you make, they're going to change your course. And in many ways, that's one of the key issues that lays out right before us. That in a world that is, you know, so many things are happening, the choices that you decide to make are the ones that will determine your course. That's definitely going to be one of the realities that we see here from Proverbs chapter 9 as we come again to just looking at a section that just defines for us and in some ways helps us move into the book of Proverbs in powerful ways. Proverbs 9 is the fourth of four poems that kind of are poems from what's known here in the book of Proverbs as Lady Wisdom. This kind of personification of wisdom as a woman that would be speaking out wisdom to God's people. Now, in every one of the four poems that are found in the first nine chapters in the book of Proverbs, the familiar theme is an invitation, an open invitation to, to God's wisdom, a place of letting you know that it's accessible, that he's made it available, that it's possible for you and for me to have that. That's kind of the idea. That we, The idea of, of Lady Wisdom is this place of saying, hey, it's right there before us. Now, we've seen that in the first three pro, just, uh, you know, Lady Wisdom poems, but this fourth one adds a dynamic to us that lets us see how available it is, but also lays out another warning. So let's kind of notice that. So if you're going to do some underlining, you can just begin by underlining there at verse 1 where you have this picture of Lady Wisdom. It says, you know, wisdom has built her house. She, she has hewn out seven pillars. And so you kind of have this picture, and it's this, laying this picture of Lady Wisdom who is, again, making wisdom available to you and to me. And she says, prepared it. You know, she, she's built a house. She's built a, you know, a, a place where wisdom can be found. So kind of notice that there, and then flip over with me to verse 13. Go with me down there to verse 6 of of your booklets, and you might notice that we have a a second kind of comparison. There in verse 13, it says, For a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. Pause there, and again, if you want to just note this, This time, instead of lady wisdom, we're kind of looking at lady folly. This foolish wisdom that, again, is not just a person, but a personification here in this chapter. And interestingly enough, she's also has a house that she's sitting at the door of her house. So somehow you're almost being meant to picture it. So that's what we're going to see here in Proverbs 9 is we're going to do this comparison and, and almost this contrast between Two different voices, two different voices that are speaking, two different voices that are calling to you, offering to you wisdom, and in many ways the need that we have to both recognize that, differentiate, and choose. So we have this foolish woman who is this place. She's got her door, her, you know, her house that's there at the door of her house. We go back to you know, page one there, and again, we go back to seeing wisdom. And as you do so, just notice with me almost the way it wants to describe its preparations. Uh, let's just read through it, and then we'll come back and, and, and do some underlining. I'll just start again in verse 1, and we'll read up to verse 3. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out seven pillar, her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. 
She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. You gaze on this, and again, we begin to see this comparison that's going to be laying out for us. I meant to put this back a second ago, and I told you it's going to be this comparison. So the whole chapter is, again, this kind of wisdom against folly, both of them having an invitation for us. And and here, as it just unpacks it for us, it begins to almost want us to picture it. You're almost meant to feel it, as if somehow, if I could have described it there, that wisdom's provisions for you, for me, that it's good, it's right, it's a well-provisioned supply. It's as if you're, you're seeing it, like she's, it, it, she's got this place there. It says, you know, she's hewn out seven pillars, and so you can underline that, this idea of, of strength and establishment. Seven being that number in the Bible that speaks of completeness or perfection, it's possible that there's other, there's even deeper places to this. Some want to say that maybe the seven uh, pillars are, are the fruits of the Spirit or gifts that are there or even some of the descriptions in James. Fascinating things, but in one sense, it might go beyond just the simple feel right now that it's just meant to say for you there's, there's strength. There's like these pillars and this perfection uh, of seven, just fully strong and, and fully provided. Not only has she, she hewed out her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her meat and has this picture of, of providing just abundance of supply of, of food that would be needed there and all the work that would go into it and, and all the provision that went in the midst of it. She has mixed her wine, uh, providing just the, the drink that would be there, often wine being mixed with water and, and, and myrrh and different kinds of things in those days, again, for its protection, but blessing in the midst of it says she's provided it. It's fully there. She's also furnished her table. I mean, the whole thing is laid out so that, you know, that everything that could possibly be needed, it's as if you would walk into this and see, I don't know, a Thanksgiving feast kind of thing. I mean, you would look there and think, wow, like, this is, this is, there is abundance laid out here. I mean, this is a strong house. This is a well-furnished, you know, supply. There is much that's here. It's worth noting again that this is what wisdom is providing. Because in each one of those, I won't go through, I didn't circle on the screen, but you can just notice they all have the pronouns. You know, it's, it's her seven pillars, it's her meat, it's her wine, it's her table. That wisdom is providing something and laying it out for us in this incredible abundance, in this place that would be there. It goes on to just tell us there in, in verse 3 that she sent out her maidens. And it has the idea of, you know, just making this as fully available as it can. And there's something about this that is just so God. I mean, there's something about this that is almost the heart of the gospel that has this picture of, you know, going out into highways and byways and compelling and saying, hey, there's something here. That that not only do we have a, a, a farmhouse, but we're sending out you know, just those who would proclaim it and say, hey, come, like, like, come, like, this is where it is. And, and the heart of God that is always kind of this heart that is always inviting, it's a powerful picture. I mean, again, you're just meant to feel for a moment just the, the wonder that wisdom would be 
uh, the supply that is fully there that would be given to everything that's there. So again, I meant to underline there, you know, she sent out her, her, her maidens. She's made that, that place of, of being in that provision. So that's wisdom. Now we flip back over to folly. You can go back again to verse 13 there on page 6. And it gives us a different picture. You know, we have this idea that this foolish woman is clamorous. And you can underline clamorous. She is simple. And she knows nothing. If you can feel it, the opposite is, you know, this abundant house that wisdom is providing. It's not so with folly. It's not that way at all. There's a sense that she, she is clamorous. And it has the idea of boisterous, arrogant, uh, just calling out saying things that really don't seem to have much reality to it because instead of abundance, she, she, she has simple. And it's the idea of, you know, kind of turning into her house and not finding a lavish Thanksgiving meal, but it's not really anything that great. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's, just, that's disappointing. You know, that's not what I thought it would be. It's just she, she actually doesn't have anything. I mean, there's not a, a, a supply there. So the contrast, again, is to see follies kind of bad, loud, arrogant, and kind of ignorant supply that the, the two are holding here side by side, but they are not the same. You know, one is filled with abundance, and, and one is filled with supply, and one is disappointing. Uh, it, 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 it speaks loud words. It has you know, this boisterous advertisement, like, hey, we could, you know, but once you get behind that, it's like, well, that doesn't add up. I mean, like, this isn't what, it, what I thought it would be. This doesn't flow, you know, in, into the way that would be there. It seems altogether disappointing. So flip back over to verse two there. So we have this picture of wisdom that has this abundant supply, and now you begin to hear her speak says there in verse 3 again, she has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. And it has the idea of the best, of the, of, of the, of the most powerful and right. She is just crying out. She is, again, because that's the idea of Lady Wisdom, is this is available to you. So if you want to do some underlining, you can kind of just put it there and say, okay, she cries out, I'll underline that. And if you want to circle or put a little box around the word from, that's going to be key for us as we think about it. She's crying out. She's crying out from the highest places of the city, from the best places, from, from, from the things that are flowing out there. The voice of wisdom is speaking. And it's true. I mean, that's one of the things God is saying, again, is wisdom is making itself fully available. Okay, so how does that compare to folly? Well, flip back over again to verse 13 and 14. Again, it tells us that, you know, folly, she is simple. She knows nothing. And again, it gives it to us this way, where it just tells us there that for she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city. Okay, so it's, it's similar, but it's a little bit different, right? So wisdom was crying out from the highest places. She's on a seat, which would seem to have a picture of maybe you know, position or, you know, kind of people giving her honor that maybe isn't necessarily her due. But wisdom spoke, if you remember, I asked you to circle it, from. It was speaking from the highest places of the, of, of the city. 
Folly is not. She is right there next to it, though. She is by it. She is by next to the highest places of the city. So you're meant to almost feel the comparison. So yes, God is speaking. Yes, his wisdom is available, and it's good, and it's this amazing place. But here's the danger. Folly's right next door. Folly's right next door. Now, she, she's not speaking from the same authority or good place, but she's right there. I mean, she's right next to this. She's right there who, who would be there. And here's the scary space. She's talking. As it goes on to say there in, in the next verse, in verse 15, she's calling to those who pass by who go straight on their way. She's speaking and, and she's calling out uh, this voice that would be seeking to interrupt and, and, and move people away from the right place. She's calling out to those who pass by from those who are going straight on their way. So the reality is something you're meant to feel. And again, for many of you guys who, if, if you could think about it or, or even apply it into your life, you would recognize how true this is. I mean, it, it's as almost as if you could imagine. Here's somebody who's just trying to do the right thing. I mean, they're doing the right thing in life. They're trying to choose the right choices. They're going straight, uh, you know, on their way. It's not a crooked path. It's not that they're going the wrong way. And, and they're seeking what's right, but there's this voice. And, and, and right next to the place where they're seeking wisdom is another voice that begins to counter what's being said, that begins to say, oh, that's not true, you know? That, that's not really there. I mean, that, that, that doesn't really work that way, and that's so much what Satan does. I mean, you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see it this way, where God, you know, speaks to Adam and Eve and says, hey, this is what be a blessing. Everything you, here is yours except for the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then the next moment you have Satan going, that's not really true, you know. God doesn't really mean that. It's not really going to do that. And, and there's like these two voices. Now, they're not the same. They're not equal in power. But somehow, because they're laid so close to each other, there comes this incredible place where we have to almost recognize, hey, there, there's two voices. Sometimes, you know, right there, it's almost as if you could imagine standing on a concourse or a a road that you're trying to go the right way, and, and right before you as you're trying to go to the right thing is you're hearing the truth, but then there's this other voice that's speaking. And the, the key in our lives is to be able to discern and say, okay, that's, these aren't both speaking truth. You know, these aren't, I, I need that. I need to make sure that what I'm paying attention to and that which I'm heeding would be the right thing because if I just listen to everything, it's going to take me down a wrong course. If I just listen to all of it, it will go wrongly. Well, that's making at least, a, I hope, a little bit of sense, but let's make sure we see the comparison even a little bit more. Go back to, to page two there, and you have this one where we see, you know, wisdom that is crying out, that she says she's crying out from, in verse three there, from the highest places, and here's her cry. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him. Okay, pause there. And again, just I want you to make sure you're catching the words. She says, okay, are you simple? Do you recognize right now that you need help? That that's the idea of simple. It's not, a, it's not an insult when it speaks about it in comparison to this, but it's a recognition of saying, I could use help. Not a bad thing. Again, we already just talked about there in James that tells us if any of us lacks wisdom, we could ask God. 
there's a certain part of it that we have to recognize, I lack wisdom. <laughs> like, I could use some help. I mean, I'm just going to admit right now that, Lord, there's so much I don't know, and I need wisdom. So that's a good thing. To be in this place, as if you're that simple, he says, here's the thing, turn in. Wisdom is saying, turn in here. Come in this direction. Come into my supply, this Thanksgiving feast, this you know, solid home that is provided. If you lack understanding, she says, if that's you, she has something that she's going to speak. She has a voice that's going to be speaking into our lives. And so we just feel it for a moment. We just say, okay, here's this place. If you're simple, if you recognize I could use help, she's calling to you. Wisdom is saying, come. God's wisdom is available to you. I will help. I will show you things that would be altogether wise. Well, holding that, we now flip back over, and again, we see what it says in verse 16, page 7 on your your pages, and you notice with me, here's this folly who's calling out to those who are going straight on their way. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him. Hey, just clearly, I hope you kind of get it. It's word for word. She says, okay, are you simple? Do you lack? Do you find yourself in that place? She says, well, turn in here. You, you, I will be the one that would be your supply in this. And for him who lacks understanding, she says to him. So again, here you're kind of meant to see it. And I hope again that I'm doing something that just is helping you understand the, the comparativeness. Because I mean, we are word for word. I mean, advertise, I mean there's, there, there, word for word, they're saying, do you lack it? Are you simple? Do you lack understanding? I can help you. Come to me. Turn into my, be- to, into my table. Come into to my supply, and, and I will have something for you. And that's where, that's where it gets just a little bit scary. A, a little bit scary of just recognizing, if you could almost feel it, that you know, the, the sad part about the brokenness of our world and the deception that's in our world is that right next to truth, lies masquerade as if they were offering the same thing. And, you know, right next to God's wisdom saying, I will help you. I will help you. Are you simple? I, I, I'm here. There's a masquerading lie that's saying to, speaking the same words, speaking to the same people, saying the same invitation, but it's going to very different places. And therein lies our key. I mean, much what we need to understand here is what that looks like. And so I'm just going to put a little note there. It's not anything great, but just wisdom and folly are appealing to the same audience. Again, they're using the same words. Verses 4 and verse 16 they're identical. They're identical. So I actually write that twice on my screen. I'll put it back on verse four as well, just again, whether it's helpful or not. But again, it's the idea of making sure that you're seeing that the, the advertisement is the same, that they're both crying out, you know, to the one that would hear. But here's where it gets different. So what's wisdom saying? This solid house, this abundant supply, well, we keep reading. Again, I'll just start reading in verse 4 for its context. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Pause. 
Come, she says, come, I, I have something. I'm gonna give you a supply. I'm gonna give you what you so desperately need. She says, come, and I want you to eat of my bread, and I want you to drink of my wine. It's an interesting little picture. I'm just gonna tell you where I am on this, and some of you will be in the same place, and some of you might not. I just wanna tell you, that's Jesus. I mean, I don't know, bread and wine. It's kind of like, so where's that anywhere else? In scripture? I mean, bread, wine, is we, do we find that any other place in Scripture? And, and we fast forward, we get to the New Testament, we get this picture of Jesus on the night before he goes to the cross, creating that space of taking communion, offering up the bread and saying, hey, this bread is my body given for you, and this wine is my blood spilled out for you. And I, I just am one that believes that even here in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is the author of it, what was giving us a clear indication of where this would go. Now, I do want to say very carefully, not everybody agrees. Some think that that's an over uh, kind of emphasis. I, I really don't because I think the whole Bible is about Jesus. So it's actually not a surprise to me to find even here that. In fact, I could go further and say simply this. It, it's always about Jesus, that when we think about wisdom, Wisdom will always lead you to him. That is always what God is speaking. It will never take us in a different direction. I love the way Paul would say it in the book of Colossians when he was writing to the city of Colossae there. And he simply said, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea as for many who have not seen my face in the flesh. So Paul's writing a letter to the city of Colossae that he's never met. I mean, he's never met them in person, but he's heard about what God is doing there. He says, I, I'm, I'm just concerned for you. I, I just want to let you know that I have a great conflict in my heart as I worry about you and I worry about where you are because I long that your heart may be, may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Now, that's a mouthful. That's just a mouthful, but let's just understand. He says, I want you to know it. I want you to know what God has for you. I want you to know who he is. I want you to know God, the mystery of God that is found in him, that is found in Christ. And he goes on to simply says, in whom, speaking of Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So simply put, all of God's wisdom takes us to Jesus. All of God's wisdom is impacted there. There's never a course of wisdom that God would say, well, here's wisdom, and it's going to take you away from Jesus. Or here's wisdom, and you don't need Jesus. It would never go that way. I mean, I think that's probably just a pretty basic statement, but I'm telling you, it's altogether amazing just to say, yeah, that's what I need. I mean, no matter where it is I'm navigating life, if I need wisdom for my marriage, in my parenting, or my career, or how I handle my time, it's always going to take me to Jesus. It's never going to be, you know, outside like, okay, I, I can figure out life, but I really don't need Jesus. I really don't need, it's always going to draw me like, I, I need Jesus. I need to abide in Christ because without him, there's nothing. And that, that he's the key to my home. He's the key to my marriage. He's the key to my job. He's the key to life. And so everything will always take us there. In fact, I was thinking about it this morning. Some of you guys are reading with us in the book of Philippians and in, in chapter three, Paul gives his own 
personal testimony of his discovery that Jesus was everything. And he talks about how that he just calls us to be those who find our joy in Jesus. He says, you know, we're the ones who have no confidence in ourselves. We're the ones who are supposed to have all our confidence and rejoice in Christ. And he says, but if anybody could have had confidence, it probably would have been me. Like I had so much going for me. I had so much that from the world or the religious establishment would say would be for my good. And then he just says, yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I mean, it's a powerful, incredible, he says, here's the thing. You know, nothing means anything to me now outside of my relationship with Christ. Everything is trying to take, you know, all the things that I felt were my honor or my credit or to my good, I recognize that they don't count for anything. Everything I have is Jesus. And, and I love the way he says it. it. says, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible, and it's incredibly hard to, to put into the English language. The idea of the excellence of the knowledge uh, of Christ, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, has the idea of saying that knowing Jesus left, ever, left everything else in the dust. It would be the idea of saying the super surpassing knowledge of Jesus. That's almost the closest you could get to it in in, in English, but it still just, it feels weird. And I would say, you know, Jesus surpasses everything. And he doesn't just kind of, it's not like, well, it was kind of close between, you know, my IRA and Jesus, you know. It's like, it's like, no, Jesus left everything in the dust. He didn't just surpass, he super surpassed. Like he, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus means when I found him, like everything else was like, it was so far in the rear view mirror that it was inconsequential, that finding him found life for me and everything is, he said, I just want to know him and I'm just telling you, I love that. And I'm telling you, it's all that God has. He's inviting us to find our life in Christ. And, And so there's not any space that he would be speaking to us that he would be inviting us to life that wouldn't take us to the central, central place of Jesus. And again, if that's needing to come to a relationship with Jesus tonight, then that's where you need to come. If that's bringing Jesus into everything into your world, it's like, okay, you know, no wonder it's not going well at my job, or no wonder my family's not going, like, I need Jesus. I mean, Jesus said it really well in John 15. Without him, we can't do anything. Like, we desperately need him. So all wisdom really goes there. All wisdom invites us to partake of Christ, to come and eat of his bread, to drink of the wine that, that is in him. And so I love that kind of reality that is kind of just here in the midst of it. Though, again, let's just be clear. When Solomon wrote this, it wouldn't have been fully understood at that moment, but it would have been like, I have this for you. This is my supply. This is what I would give you. This is, this is what I would bring, and it would bring life. So that's the good voice. That's the voice of wisdom, that no matter where it is, it's going to invite us to Jesus. And there's just a pretty simple understanding. The world's wisdom would never do that. <laughs> like, like, if you're trying to differentiate between the voices, the world, the world of false wisdom would never do that. It has a very different voice. So we flip back over there to verse 16. Where again, just giving it out to us, says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she, that is this foolish voice, this foolish woman, she says to him, 
Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Interesting. So wisdom is inviting us ultimately to Christ and to all that God has for us. Folly, it's inviting us into this place. It says, okay, it would be stolen. What I'm inviting is stolen, and it would be secret. It's a, it, instead of the, the bread and the wine, that ultimate picture of Christ, this stolen water is sweet, this bread eaten is, is in, in secret is pleasant. This proverb gives a pretty powerful picture of the appeal and the voice of folly and sin. It is stolen. Uh, we could simply understand it this way, that Everything that sin is offering and everything that this world offers outside of Jesus, they've stolen from him. I mean, God made everything. He's the creator of the world, and so everything is outside of that. But on top of that, it's really part of the appeal. It's really part of the appeal of sin, that it has this idea of of taking something, seizing it for yourself, and secrecy and and hiddenness. It really defines it. And here's the deal. I don't think there's anybody in this room that's like, wow, that's interesting. I don't know anything about that. Like, I don't even, that never ever draw me. I, I never think about it that way. But I'm telling you, you do. If you could see sin in your life and the invitation to doing wrong or evil, you would recognize it is that. It is this place where because it's, it's stolen, because it's, it's secret, it actually has part of the appeal. It, it's the very nature because you, you, tell, you tell us no, that there's a part of it because it's now no, we, don't, we want to do that. I mean, you guys know this, right? Maybe parents, you would understand it really well. Like, you know, you have your, your, your child there, and, and it's interesting. Like, sometimes just telling them no all of a sudden makes them want to do it. Like, hey, you can't have that. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I want that. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like, what just happened at that moment? Well, Paul would say it. He says it's how the law works, right? He says that the law comes in and the law says, don't covet. Like, I don't want you to covet. And he says it would be really great if that would be like, okay, that's not what I'm going to do. He says the funny thing about that is, all of a sudden, I want to covet. Like, I'm wanting to covet more than I've ever really wanted to covet because you just told me I couldn't have it. And now that you tell me I can't have it, now I really, really want it. And, and that's actually part of the brokenness of it. Part of the brokenness of our world is always that. Sin and wrong choices that you make, they always go down this road. It's always taking something you shouldn't take, something that isn't yours, that's ultimately you know, against God or against others, and, and it has this idea of, of just selfishly kind of just you know, making it yours, where it's like, I just want this, and, and I just want that to be a part of it, and I just want you to make sure you understand that's the brokenness of the invitation of folly. It is always inviting you to this. It is always inviting you to, oh, but you deserve it. You should just do it. Take it. Take, take this for yourself. Do this for yourself. You deserve that. Nobody else has to know. Nobody needs to know this. No, this is just us, and, and, and you can just have and, and have this pleasure or have that thing, and, and it would be satisfying. It's, again, what Satan is doing to Eve there in the garden. He's like, you know... God is just trying to keep you away. You could have, doesn't it look good? And she's like, oh, it does look good. You know, it's like, tells us, you know, she looks at her, she says, the food looks good. They're on the tree of life. And it's like, that's the lie. That's the lie. By the way, it's one of those things that's, it's so, 
real in our, in our culture that is an interesting dynamic that I just invite you to continue to watch. I think about it this way, and, and again, not speaking, you know, kind of in any way politically, not speaking in any way that we kind of just go beyond this. I think about so much of the struggle that's happening within New Mexico right now. We think about some of the things happening here in Roswell. We think about the, the uh, you know, marijuana disp- dispensaries that are being opened up within our community. And again, I'm not, you know, here to speak and say, hey, bad, good, that there's not any reason that God could create this for, have some places. So if that's stuff that you're wrestling through, I'm not speaking about that, but I'm just telling you this. Legalizing it isn't going to help things. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, legalizing something that used to be wrong isn't going to all of a sudden make people not want to do wrong. It means they're going to have to find something else. Uh, listening to Ed Taylor, who's the pastor up in uh, Calvary uh, Chapel in Aurora, Colorado, and they, they did this before us. They did, you know, marijuana before we did it in Mexico. And he said, here's the problem. He said, you know, part of the appeal of marijuana was that you were doing something wrong. You know, part of the fun was you were, you were breaking the law. You were, I mean, that's actually what's, and so now that it's legal, he says that kind of adrenaline rush of sin isn't there. So he says, you know, they, they've, they've watched drugs, harder drugs, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, heroin, whether it be meth, you know, ramp up extremely because this desire for wrong, you know, it, it's not going to be satisfied when all of a sudden it's okay. You know, when all of a sudden you make, you know, something legal, it doesn't all of a sudden make, well, good, now we're going to stop doing bad things because now it's legal. It actually will do worse things. And again, I don't want to speak in a prophetically or any of this. I'm just telling you, watch it in our culture. Watch it in where we are. Watch it as our world continues to try to legalize things. Instead of kind of settling into, okay, now we accept this. And now it's like, now we got to do something worse you know, because it's not fun any longer. You know, it's, it's not, they're, they're, the sin, it's stolen, it's gotta be secret. It's, it's, it's that that's the sweetness or the pleasantness that, that folly is offering can only be found there. It's just important for you to know that. It's important for you to feel that and to know that that's important to, to be able to dis, dis, distinguish this. As our world is in a place of wanting to, you know, call everything that God calls wrong and call it right, as that would pull into your life, I'm just telling you, hey, you, you need to be able to say, no, it's, that's, that's a lie. You know, just, you, you, could, you could say, oh, long, it's, it's no longer bad, but it is bad, and I could see this in my life, where I need to be able to say, no, t- you know, that's, that's not sweet, that's a lie, that's, that's something that's there, and, and to not fall for it, because as much as it's happening in the culture around us, so often it will happen in us as well. So again, kind of a powerful description that is far deeper than I have the ability to communicate, but nevertheless, I'm telling you, that's the voice of folly. It is always the voice of folly. Hey, take it. Do something for you. Just nobody has to know. It's just, you could have this. You could, do, you could work that. It would be good into your life, and it's drawing us to an entirely different life. So we go back to this good voice, this voice that is telling us, hey, from wisdom, come eat my bread, drink of the wine that I've made, and it just simply goes on and says, okay, here's what you need to do. Forsake foolishness and live. Go in the way of understanding. Like, don't do that thing over there. Don't listen to folly. You need to say no. <laughs> there's, there's two voices speaking to you. And one of them's inviting you to do the wrong thing. It's inviting you to steal what isn't yours, to, to do in secret what nobody else would know. He says, no, forsake that and you'll live. There's life found here. 
There's life in doing what's right. He says that would be the go in this way of understanding, that you could walk in everything that's there. It's like this would become a good path for you if you would say, okay, I'm gonna go down the course that, that God has. But we go back over to the voice of folly. We pick it up there as it just again tells us, and she's saying stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And then in verse 18, it simply tells it to us this way. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depth of hell. It was a false advertisement. It doesn't work. He says, here's what we need to know. I mean, they didn't know. You need to know it. That's death. That's death. That's, that's the gates of hell. That, that's destruction. That in one sense, her ad- advertisement, which said, hey, stolen water is sweet. Hey, you could do it. Like, this would be pleasant. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a false advertisement. It's the advertisement Satan gave in the Garden of Eden. It's everything that Satan's doing. And the key for us is to be able to recognize that's not true. You know, it it might have pleasure for a moment. It it tells us in, in Hebrews, the passing pleasures of sin. But the other side of it's death. The other side of it's death. It's not life giving, it's robbing, it's destroying. And ultimately, it could destroy a soul. So again, two voices, one that's leading to life, the other that's leading to death. One that's calling us, hey, forsake foolishness and live. Hey, go in the way of understanding. Walk in what that would look like. Walk in everything that's there, calling us to that. So now we're giving this reasoning. We're telling you, hey, there's two voices. You need to be able to differentiate. You not got to be able to, to get that. And then in the midst of it, he just kind of ties in a, a a helpful nugget, a sad nugget at the same time. It says, you know, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. So if you want to underline, you can underline correct and rebuke. In fact, in the next couple of verses, we'll try to do that. There's kind of this repeated place of saying, okay, you're going to try to bring in correction. You're going to try to correct somebody who's doing the wrong thing. You're going to rebuke them. He says, if you do that to a scoffer, someone who's not listening, who's, who has this idea of, of, of throwing off the weight of, of all that's there. If you do that to a scoffer, you do it for a wicked man, someone who's already decided that's what they're going to do. This is not going to do any good for you. It's, it's going to be embarrassing for you. It's going to be shame, and you're just going to harm yourself. Says the problem with is that some that you're trying to rescue them, they, they just, they're not listening, and it's not going to go well that there becomes this place of, of trying to rescue and trying to help somebody say, you know, don't believe the lie of, of folly. Uh, it says it's not going to work. If you try to correct a scoffer or a wicked man, it's, it's only going to harm you. Verse 80 says, do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. So again, you might just notice the idea of correct and rebuke. It's actually the two same words that we just saw. He says, if you correct one or you rebuke one, it's not going to go well. But here he ties him in again. He says, well, if you correct a scoffer, he's going to hate you. <laughs> you, like, you try to stop somebody who's already throwing that off and already saying no to God and refusing to hear everything. It's only creating animosity. But if you rebuke a wise man, one who is trying to do the right thing and trying to walk in God's ways, he will love you. He will love you. One of the interesting things about this little section that is, again, deeper than I have time to go into, in one sense, the difference is how we receive correction. The one thing that almost defines 
the, 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 the wicked man from the wise man is how we do when we're corrected. When somebody, when God comes into our life and says, that's wrong. I don't want you to do that. That would be bad for you. You know, you, you've made a bad choice in that moment. That's a part of our lives, by the way. It tells us in Hebrews that God is one that corrects us. He corrects all of his children. He loves us to do it. But in one sense, it's almost definitive that you can define the right and the wrong by how you do that. And it's something all of us have to grow in. Grow in a place where we say, I want to be the one that can say, hey, I want to be rebuked. Like, I want to get corrected. I want somebody to rescue me from going down the wrong path. I want God to do that because I don't want to be the one that resists just this rescue that's even being spoken of in this proverb. He says, but if you goes on, goes on in verse 9, says, if you give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So one more time, we kind of get these words, you know, give instruction and teach. And so in the last few verses, there's this rebuke, correct, teach, give instruction. He says, if this is what you're trying to do, and some aren't going to listen to it. Some are going to be like, I don't want to hear. And it's like, it's it's only going to create problems. But if you give a correction to a wise man or a just man, defining that someone who's doing it right, they're going to get wiser. I mean, they're already doing well, and they're just going to continue, like, okay, that, that, you are right. Like, I should continue going down a good course, good course and it'll, it'll increase, he says, in learning. That it would be just good for us, and so, by God's grace, I hope it is for you. I hope in some ways he defines us. Like, that's what we want to be, because we need rescue from this. We need the things that God would so draw us to in this moment. And so, then he launches into the key part of the whole thing. Verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Hands down, this is one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. Hands down, I just love it. It's similar to a couple other verses. Proverbs 1 kind of began it and said that, you know, the fear of the Lord is this idea of the beginning of wisdom, but I love the addition that's found in this verse, that the knowledge, like knowing God, that is actually understanding. It's not just that this relationship with God defines everything. That he's calling you and I to be, okay, we want to be those who fear the Lord. And and a very quick understanding of that, that's not being afraid, like terrified. It is the idea of recognizing there is one God, only one God, and he's God. To live your life in the fear of God is to recognize him as God over the world and over our lives. But again, I like the definition he goes on. He says it's actually knowing God. It is actually knowing him. That the knowledge of God, the knowledge of who he is, the knowledge of the Holy One, and again, I just like the words is. He says this is. It's not what leads to it. It's not the course. It is. So how do I have wisdom? How do I? It's knowing God. That's not just like the door that opens it. It's kind of what we said a moment ago, getting to Jesus. Like I need God all the time. I need him every hour. Every hour I need him. Like, I just, I need God. <laughs> like, I, I desperately, you know, knowing God is what I need in every part of my life. He says, that's the place that it, it's the foundation or the beginning or where all wisdom is founded. That's what gives us understanding. That's what actually does this. Hands down, this is what God has for you. Hands down, this is what he would want into our lives where he'd say, so there's a course. And it's a course of wisdom. 
There's a, there's a voice of wisdom, and it's inviting you to Jesus and through Jesus into this knowledge of God. And it's, it's that which would rescue you. It's that which would help you in every part of your life. There's a different voice, and it sounds like it's offering the same thing, but it's folly, and it's offering you to sin and do wrong, and it's gonna be destructive. You want this voice. You want the voice that's saying, God, I need you. God, I need you more. I need to know you because knowing God is absolutely everything. Wow, gosh, I wish I could say that better. But it's so good. He just goes and says, if you do that, for by me your days will be multiplied, your years of your life will be added to you. I mean, just a simple kind of, like, this will work for you. This will work good into your life. This will do good. And so with that, he gives us this application there in verse 12. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. If you're wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, and so now we're having this contrast between, okay, are we going to be the wise person, or are we going to be the scoffer? Are we going to be the wise person that's hearing correction and rebuke and being drawn to this fear of God, to this knowing of God, or are we going to be the scoffer that refuses it and hates even those that correct us and, and, and moves into the back of this? But interesting enough, he says, that's going, to be, that's going to change you. That wisdom will change your course, or that folly will change your course. It will be that that you yourself will bear it. I kind of began this way this evening trying to say it, and so let me kind of come back to it again. Right now, the key in this is for you. The choice you make will affect you. It's going to determine the course of your life, and it will. You can't make this choice for anybody else, nor can they make it for you, but it is effective. It's an interesting proverb that just kind of just says it that way, that in one sense, we're being invited to that. See, we live in a world that's just, it, it seems to be tearing apart in so many ways, and so much is happening. And sometimes, you know, in this day, because we have such breadth of, in, uh, of knowledge that we didn't know before, other generations didn't, I mean, you can read the news, and you can read what's happening, you know, on the other side of the world, and you can read what's happening in other states, and, and, you, and all this information sometimes moves us into the place where we can lose sight of this, where we feel like, you know, we need to fix the world. Like I, you know, like, I wish I could make a choice for the world. Like, the world is making the wrong choice, and they, they are. But you can't. But you can choose the choice for you, and it actually will change you. It, it will actually change you. The course where you say, you know what, I, you know, I don't know about the rest of you. I don't know what your choice is going to be, but as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. I mean, you might choose to go differently, and out of that, you'll bear that consequences yourself. That will be true of you. But if I hear what's going on, if I make this choice, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work into me, that which I have for me. And there's such incredible rescue here. I just wanna, I'm trying to figure out how to say this more because in a world that feels out of control and you feel like in many ways at times, you know, like, you know, the trains run away, you know, the station, there's nobody at the, at the helm. And sometimes you can just almost feel like, well, what's the point? What's the point of, of, of even, you know, trying? What's the point of even doing right? And, he, and, and this just speaks loudly. If you choose, it, it, it will change you. It, it might not change the world. It might not change everybody else around you. But if you choose, that wisdom will, will change you. If you choose folly, 
it will affect you. And that choice becomes altogether personal where we'd say, okay, I get it. I see what's being laid out there and this call that we would make the right choice. So let's just kind of put it together one more time and we'll end there. So we have two voices. We have two voices that are calling out to us today. Two voices that are saying, hey, you know, do you lack wisdom? Do you lack wisdom? Do you need help? Come to me. Come to me and and find that. One of the voices is that voice of folly that's saying stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant, do the wrong thing. You'll, you know, might as well, you know, in, in this world just, you know, the world's going crazy. You might as well just, you know, get your own good in the midst of it. Try to take care of yourself. Try to find some joy in the midst of it. So steal it. Take it for you. But the outcome of that, it goes on to say, is that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. Like, that's where that choice will take you. That's the course that that would be. But if, on the other hand, you listen to wisdom that would say, hey, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine, come to Christ, come to what God has done into this world, come and forsake foolishness, don't listen to that other voice, you'll live. You will go in the way of understanding because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I just want to leave that with you and just say, Hands down, that's what God is inviting you to right now. He's inviting you to a place that says, that's the road I want to be on. I want to be on the place where God is correcting me and God is drawing me into this place of knowing him. And that's what I desperately need. I know that's what God is inviting you to, even tonight. And if, it, if, you, if you heed that, it will work good. It'll work good into your life. And I just want to tell you, I love that. And I found myself looking for people that had, had taken this verse and put it into doodles and pictures that I've done a few times in, in, in Proverbs. I couldn't find somebody that did a really great job, so it's on you. Yeah, I'm looking for somebody here, like help me get a really good picture here because I just want to leave it and tell you it's such a powerful verse. So I'll read it one more time and then we'll pray for it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's pray for that. Would you join me? Father, I thank you for just the clarity that in many ways is given to us in this proverb. I recognize how true it is. Two voices, two clarion voices calling to us, speaking to us who recognize we need help. One's true and another's a lie. One is drawing us to you, drawing us to a place of knowing you and finding our life in you, the others inviting us to sin, to choose our own course, to steal our own way. And it couldn't be more clear. That's a false advertisement. That's a lie. Death is where it goes. Destruction, emptiness. Help us to believe that. Help us to recognize the lie so that as we hear that advertisement, we would say, that's not true. That's not going to work. Instead, may we choose you. May we say, God, I want to know you. What I need more than anything else in my life is to know you. Everything I need is found in that relationship with you. That which would bless my marriage, my family, my job, my world is knowing you. 
God, in a place where so many things seem out of control, and at times we can almost just throw up our hands in defeat, help us recognize this is a choice that is determining the course of our lives. And we would choose to know you. We would choose to forsake the, the lie of folly, and we'd say, I, I want to fear God. I want to I know you. I pray that you would so work that that we would be able to say with Paul, that everything else that was an attraction, everything else that caused us to feel merit or good, we would recognize all of that just is left in the dust when we think about knowing Jesus. The excellence of the knowledge of Jesus, the super surpassing knowledge of Jesus is everything. God, draw us to that. Draw us to that place where we would know you. God, take it deeper than I could have gone. Help us to get it, help us to believe it, and help us to follow. I ask for that right now as we just thank you for who you are and your good work. We acknowledge that right now together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.